it's my going on my healing journey and learning that unless the black person or the anti-racist educator articulates their feelings, the white person melts down because they're trying to be defensive because as soon as whiteness comes up, yeah, it's indefensible. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Dig New Streams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi. This week, I welcome my new friend, Kokai Nosekere. Kokai is the byproduct of a dynamic, multicultural environment called Anchorage, Alaska, or Alaska. He is an anti-racism, pro-humanity educator who currently lives in Oregon, where he is active in the black community of Southern Oregon's Rogue Valley the former home of one of the 13 indigenous grandmothers, Grandma Aggie, and the city of Eugene, where the University of Oregon's Mighty Ducks reside. He is also a rabid pro wrestling fan, watching 10 hours of product a week, which equips him to be a participant in the Brotherhood of Wrestling podcast. This conversation, as well as all of Kokai's content that I consume on TikTok, is so powerful. I highly encourage you to listen to the entire thing. I'm sure you'll feel the same way. If you want to keep up with the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now. You can find a consistent conversation happening on TikTok if you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Dig New Streams Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with Kokai Nosakere. I was born the year that Bob Marley's third album came out, Natty Dread, because it was the generation right after integration. The teachers had developed something brand new called multiculturalism. Mm. I was the first generation in my family to grow up with a fully integrated childhood and being raised in Alaska or Alaska meant that multiculturalism was in vogue, not assimilation and accommodation. With only two reservations and with ANSA, the Alaska Native Settlement Claims Act, ceding land back 80 million square miles, it meant that the Native people that I grew up with had their culture interrupted, not broken. Okay, mm. I'm saying all that so that this story <clears throat> makes sense. At 21 years old, my father sends me to this small gathering in Washington, D.C. called the Million Man March. Mm. When I came back, I was on fire, and I worked at um, Campfire because I was still going to school mm. uh, for getting a degree in American history. And I remember there was a family there that had migrated up from Tennessee, Oklahoma-type area. And the mother came to me when I was on 36 and uh, Lake Otis at the Fed uh, X. It now becomes FedEx, but it was um, Kinko's at that time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got her arms folded and she comes walking up to me. And I'm like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. You went to Fairview, didn't you? Because that was the elementary school I went to. I was like, yeah, I went to Fairview. All six years I went, or seven years, what is it? Kindergarten through sixth grade. Yeah, my entire elementary school career was in Fairview. She goes, did they have multicultural assemblies then? I was like, oh, wow. They're still doing multicultural assemblies? Mm. She's like, yes, I don't like them. Mm. You don't like the multicultural assemblies? No. Why don't you like the multicultural assemblies? because it shows my children a difference. Hmm. It took me 20 years to figure out what she meant yeah. and why she was so upset. Here's what she meant. She meant that when school started, her children and every other child, the 350 that attended Fairview Elementary School, heard the principal come on and they did the announcements and they did the Pledge of Allegiance together. When classroom instruction started, everyone used the exact same textbooks. Everyone had the exact same teacher. Everyone had the exact same assignments. Mm. When they went to lunch, 
everyone ate the exact same lunch. They went to lunch at the same time. They played on the same uh, playground. But when this assembly occurred, they learned her children that the Korean students would play Kai Bai Bo or rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. That the native children would come out and they had these things called yo-yos that they used and they played with the string yo-yos yeah. that the children had never seen. The Filipino children came out and they brought out their bamboo sticks and they did the, the dance game. Mm. The black children came out and they grabbed two jump ropes and started doing double dutch. <laughs> and, and they were like, yo, um, wait a minute. How come guys have never played these games with, with us? And they were like, you're not black. You're not Korean. Mm. You're not Filipina. Why would we do this? And so she learned that the children of these multicultures went home to their cultures. And when they came to school, they were practicing whiteness. Oh. Okay. And that she couldn't just escape that even though they lived in the same neighborhood and went to the same school, they didn't see her the way that she saw herself or her children. They saw them as white. Yes. Wow. Okay. Second story. Wow. And this one I learned again the hard way, which has gotten me to this current re re uh, revelation mm. about community. Mm. I watched the Tennessee Three, hmm. and I learned when talking to my friends here in Oregon and then watching the Tennessee Three, too, that that's what they want to experience to them. That's the ideal experience. What, what happened with the Tennessee Three? Hmm. So for a recap, yeah. there was a mass shooting at a Christian school because the Christian school had bullied a transgender person. So they went and got their revenge. The only way that call out culture allows you to do revenge, which is now I'm going to be violent towards you because you were violent towards me. And this is the only way that we believe that you can learn. Yes. When that happened, March for Our Lives, the children's advocacy group driven by children because of what happened in Florida with their mass school shooting came to town and organized the parents and students to fill up the Tennessee Capitol. So there were a thousand deep, but there weren't, this wasn't a one-off. This was like the civil rights movement. They were there for six days, seven days, eight days. Around day six was when Justin Pearson, Justin Jones, and Gloria Johnson went to the well, went to the house floor and forced their voice of the March for Our Lives onto and into the Tennessee record. Now the Republicans who were there they have lost total control. Their egos are blown out of the water mm -hmm. and they are frustrated. So they do the only thing that they know to do. They use the legislative process to protect themselves. Yes. And they want to bring these people who justified decorum up for censor. So they go to vote in order to um, eject them from the House. <laughs> Justin Jones goes up first. He gets um, voted out. So he's now outside in a beautiful white suit with the ponytail. Yeah. Gloria Johnson's up second. She survives vote by one. Yep. Okay. We later learned that two lawyers have been advocating behind uh, the scenes for her. Yeah. She comes out wiping tears from her eyes. Yeah. There's a reporter there. And the reporter goes, well, Justin Jones got um, expelled. You didn't get expelled. Why do you think that you didn't get expelled? And you see her pause for a moment and she has to make a choice mm -hmm. and she makes this choice. And it looks like to me, the last time I saw anybody have to make a choice like that, it was Muhammad Ali versus mm -hmm. George Foreman, the beginning of round two. After wow. he's already hit George Foreman with 12 right leads, he sees this big man who isn't scared of him, who is now enraged, and Muhammad Ali has to look inside himself and say, can we do this? And he looks at himself and he nods his head, yes, we can do this. Gloria Johnson does the exact same thing. She stops and she has to look inside herself, and then she points her finger at the reporter and says, you know what? I'm going to answer your question. Hmm. 
I think I didn't get expelled because I am a middle-aged white woman. After she does that, Justin Jones opens up his arms and gives her a big hug and says, we are one. Mm. Why? Because he can understand and appreciate the amount of courage that it took for her to speak directly to race, racism, and whiteness. Then Pearson gets expelled. So now it's a racial moment. Yes. And we know it's a racial moment. Gloria Johnson does not leave those two black men. No. And she goes on the night news and the morning news. Okay. Now, the beautiful thing that happens is when those three needed money in 24 out 48 hours, $10,000 came in. When they needed legal representation, legal representation stepped forth, which means that instead of being abandoned, and isolated for taking that stance, there was a community to hold Gloria Johnson. Now, on the other end, the Republicans are having a full meltdown, and when the news media gets the audio leak of them having a meeting, you hear them say a very strange thing. They go, one guy goes, I've been called racist and white supremacist more times in the last three days than in the 15 years I've been participating in politics. Hear that. Mm. Hear that. Okay. And they could not hurt Johnson, Pearson, or Jones. They got voted right back in and they got to keep now dealing with them. But this time, they know that anything that they do to try and protect themselves from those three lands as they are the enemy back to that grandma, to that mother. Mm. You're seen as white no matter what you do. And so now, how do I deal with that? And I I say those two questions, those two stories, because that is like almost the very basis of the work that I do on social media and in real life. It's my going on my healing journey and learning that unless the Black person or the anti-racist educator articulates their their, um, feelings, the white person melts down because they're trying to be defensive because as soon as whiteness comes up, it's indefensible. Yes. I want to be seen as human, not white. Okay. Mm. So what are you doing in order to dismantle whiteness? I don't, I can't do it. Now it took me a while to understand when a white person told me that they didn't have community, what that meant, because you see community all around them. They go to baseball games. They got elementary schools. When there was a protest about the pandemic, they show up in guns (laughs) and you can see that they've got networks and connections and friendships and family. So what do you mean when you say you don't have community? Exactly what that Gloria Johnson pointed towards, meaning that when injustice happens in the black, brown, indigenous persons of color communities, you see communities show up. There's a press conference and it isn't the victim doing the press conference. There's lawyers that come in. There's parades. There are protests. There, there, there's, funding that happens. There's community support, public relations. The news media kicks in. However, Mm -hmm. when the injustice occurs to a white person, they feel left out to drive. There's no white community that comes to support them. If they get raped, they're on their own. If there's child um, abuse, they're on their own. If they get uh, screwed out of their apartment, they're on their own. That's what they mean. They mean that there isn't any mutual support when injustice occurs for there to be change that happens without them being crushed. Am I right or am I wrong? Oh, that's so powerful. It it is the loss. uh, What a lot of people don't realize within this system is that all people have been dehumanized. Right. So white folks have been forced or European people of European ancestry have been forced into whiteness as well. And so it is that undoing. And you talk a lot about like uh, pathways out of white supremacy culture because it's so crucial. That thing about community, when I hear you talk and black indigenous people of color, I hear uh, us and ours. When I hear white folks talk, I hear me and mine. Oh, yes. Right. And so there is that individualism that is one of the 15 components of white supremacy culture, right? Individualism is one of those 15 aspects. When you enter into that kind of a space and you're open about your own healing journey and your own experiences, do you find that that opens up the person that is overcome by whiteness 
Well, it, it's, a, it's a beginning. Yeah. Because then they're not putting up psychic energy defending themselves from me, my yeah. individual personality. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't mean that they have the capacity to do the unpacking. I normally tell people that before they get to my channel on social media, on TikTok, that there are other persons that they got to go to first in yes. order to develop the skills in order to talk about what it is that I'm talking about. Yeah. The very first person I ask them to normally go to is White Woman Whisperer, mm. who has the weight program or the Weight Watchers, which means why am I talking? W-A-I-T. Mm. Why? Because most European Americans have not learned how to listen to you to black, brown, indigenous persons of color because of the defensiveness. Yeah. They're sp spending so much time defending themselves as I'm not a direct threat to you, immediate threat to you. Please don't treat me like I'm a direct, immediate threat to you. Mm. I don't have the power to hurt you. Please treat me as if I don't have the power to hurt you. Now, we don't believe that, but that's how they want to be presented. Yes. So they got to wait. Why am I talking? And then they get to hear their own thoughts. Once they hear their own thoughts, they go to Portia Noor, who sits there and tells them, please journal. Mm. And they'll find out that they end up having to journal, 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 because you've never allowed yourself to have these thoughts. Because you get punished in the public sphere and private sphere if you allow yourself to have those thoughts. Yes. So now you've been trying to come up with common ground with Black, Brown, Indigenous persons of color by saying, I've got a shared experience. No different than that mother at the Fairview Elementary School. Mm. We all live in the same neighborhood. We all go watch the same movies. Yes. We're all poor together. And learning that that's not the where the common ground is, mm. that's what you put in the journal. So that yes. you're not vomiting up your processing mm. to the black, brown, indigenous persons of color. And they're taking up the emotional labor of sitting up there, soothing you. You know, you're safe. You know, I'm not oh. going to hurt you. I don't have the power to hurt you. I really don't have the power to hurt you. So you can say that in front of me and not be worried about any emotional charge from me like you would your father or your grandfather or your uncle or your auntie mm. or your grandmother who could cut you off from the will and resources. Mm. Okay. After that, you develop empathy. And that's where Vonda Page and Tammy Trulio come into play. And they've mm. got classes, they've got books, they do DEI, and they start helping people say, wait a minute, I thought I did have empathy. Now you cut yourself off from the empathy. Mm. I did? Yes. Then you got Nikisha, the anti-racism um, parenting group. So she's an educator. She's an active educator. And so what she does is help people when it comes down to interrupting whiteness, mm. meaning within themselves, with their behaviors, as well as their children. And how do you help the child grow up under multiculturalism rather than the monoculturalism of white supremacy culture, yes. okay? Because it's colonialism, meaning that yes. if you're not like me, then you're a threat to me, right? Okay? Yes. That's why That's why the Christianity, that's why the Islam, that's why the, um, well, not necessarily Buddhism, depends on who you get. But as soon as something gets colonized, mm -hmm. that's what they start doing, which is the reinforcement piece of, if you're not like me, then you are a threat to me, mm. okay? Yes. So, that all, once you have those skills, then you can come talk to me because mm. we over here talk about intergenerational trauma. Yes. Epigenetics. So we're real clear that Native people have trauma from the genocide happening against them. Happening, not happened, happening. Yep. Okay. And we're real clear about Black people having epigenetics and intergenerational trauma from enslavement practices and the current um public policies against them. Yes. Okay. Yes. What we do not have a conversation about is that white bodied persons have trauma from having committed the genocide and from having done the enslavement. Mm. And that's when the white person goes, wait a minute, huh? Mm. This is brand new to me. Mm. And we're like, I grew up with this. We grew <laughs> up with that. There was something wrong with white folk. <laughs> For white folks, there is this instinctual defensiveness when it comes to being identified as an oppressor. Yes. Right? Yes. Where would you say that comes from? The, the idea, okay. Ooh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll start here in the movie and then I'll go to the actual event that I think that comes from, mm. okay? The actual cultural practice. Yeah. When I was younger, and you may identify with this person, 
I was introduced to this character called John J. Ram. Oh, yeah. And in the first movie, he is walking around attempting to find his brothers from Vietnam War. And they're all dying around him. And he's doing a Bruce Banner, and no, a David Banner. And he he's, uh, is it Bruce? It's Bruce it, Banner. Yeah, because David Banner's the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the rapper. So right, yeah. Bruce Banner. <laughs> and he's walking from the town, and you can almost hear of the movie. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, yes. ding, 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 That's Right? Yes. He meets up with the sheriff, and the sheriff is trying yes. to get him out of town. And the sheriff does all this traumatic stuff to him that yeah. reminds him of the trauma that he experienced in Vietnam. Mm. Now, when I was growing up, I was told that John J. Rambo had PTSD. Mm. Now, in 2021, the American Psychological Association, you can Google this, came out and they made two statements, one as a press conference and one in writing. And they apologized for upholding white supremacy every day of its existence. Wow. They've only had three black directors ever, ever presidents of the American Psychological Association. The first one was Dr. Kenneth Clark, and he did the original doll test that was used uh, by Thurgood Marshall in order to desegregate America with the Brown versus Board of Education. Mm -hmm. And he had to prove to white psychologists that white children do see and experience race. Wow. Okay. So with that decentering of whiteness, that would mean that John J. Rambo does not have PTSD. Mm. He doesn't have post-traumatic stress disorder. Oof. He's the invader. Oh. The Vietnam people, the Viet Cong have PTSD from his invading yes. their land. Yes. What John J. Rambo has is PITS, P-I-T-S, Perpetrator Induced Trauma Syndrome. Wow. I'm going to say that one again. Wow. PITS, Perpetrator Induced Trauma Syndrome. Where do we see this in our current society? If you are the correctional officer on death row, you have pits. Yes. If you work at a slaughterhouse, after you've killed your 30th animal, your 30th cow, and you know how intelligent cows are, mm. then you start figuring out the cow knows it's going to its death. The cow knows it's at a death camp, and it becomes harder and harder to cut the cow's throat and bleed it out. And you, you have pits. Mm. Okay. Mm. Perpetrator-induced trauma syndrome. Wow. Where in American history, especially recent American history, would a white body person experience pits culturally? Because I grew up with these stories. Yes. Of my family members. Because I remember I'm 12 years old. Mm. I'm in Louisiana with my grandmother. I'm telling her about growing up in Alaska, in Anchorage, which is the least racist locate. It's the most multicultural city in the country. Wow! Literally, we have the three most multicultural neighborhoods in the in the, in the country. Wow. So we've got a Somali next to a Hmong, next to a Yupik, next to a black person, next to a white person, and everyone's practicing their culture without impeding on other people. And the white people aren't being violent towards everybody. Wow! Okay? That's 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 Anchorage. <laughs> So she says, listening to me talk about the Shangri-La, baby, go to the Bible. And so because my grandmother was born in the 30s and survived Great Depression, mm. I know that she trusted Jesus more than she trusted the bank. And all this money is in these Bibles all over the house. So she had a Bible that was huge. It was like a piece of furniture that sat on the dining room table <laughs> that like Ric Flair could use in order to hit you upside the head with. So I'm really happy, bro. I'm like, yes, there's got to be like 20s in here and 50s and everything. So I go over to this Bible and I open up this Bible. And inside this Bible, there are postcards of burnt bodies and hung bodies. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I'm amazed. What is this? And she looks at me deadpan nonchalant says, those are your family members. Oh. So if you are a six-year-old, which was the first time that if you're in Mississippi and your name is Elvis 
Presley, you would be brought to one of these cultural events. You would attend church. Yes. And then after church, your mother, who would have a picnic basket, and the other mothers and grandmothers and deaconesses would have picnic baskets and blankets and parasols, would be led by the preacher and the deacons and the men out to a field. And there would be all these cars there, Hmm. and there would be a band playing, and all these other families that have laid out and are having a festive moment. Hmm. And then you would see somebody that you've seen your father do business with, a black man. And he would be screaming and hollering the names of the people who were restraining him. Because nine times out of ten, we've got the books. You were not lynched by people you did not know. You were lynched by community members because the purpose of lynching was to hold all the other black people in check Mm. for stepping up. And nine times out of ten, it was a business person that they were lynching. Ida B. Wells. Okay, so what we remember in American history are the strangers that got lynched, not the actual uh, community members, because that is a little too close to home. Yes. So now you're six years old. You see your community for the next three to four hours systematically torture this black man as if he's Jesus. They're cutting off fingers and passing the fingers around. They're cutting off toes and passing the toes around. They're taking hand crank drills and drilling into shoulders and stomach and chest. They start hanging him, but they hang and choke him and then drop him, hang and choke him and then drop him. They start a fire. They start taking off his clothes, burning his clothes. As my father reminded me, you don't know what kind of sound a man makes when they cut off his balls. Mm. He has that sound in his head. Oh, okay. The body parts are passed around. Now, if you're that six-year-old child, you are completely disassociating from your body because you're seeing your community act in a manner that is completely inhumane. Yes. You don't want to be in your body. No. And you now learn what it means to be white. So, if epigenetics is real, if the cherry blossom experiment is real, yeah. then if you're three generations removed, like like yep. the children are right now, okay? Yep. Because if Ruby Bridge is still alive, that means that, and my parents were the children who integrated America, that means the people, the children that they went to school with are still alive too. Hello, Biden. Yep, yep, exactly. Okay? The guy who owns the Cowboys. Uh, um, Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones, he's yeah. there. Yep. We got pictures of him yes. there. Okay. Yep. So these people are still there. That means he went to a lynching too. Yes. Okay. Yes. So now you got the grandchildren and the grandchildren are walking around. And as soon as I talk to them about being white and they start feeling something that they've never felt before, that's not from their lived experience with black people. And they don't know where this anxiety is coming from. They are now trying to disassociate because it's the epigenetics. Mm. That's where that's coming from. Oh, that needs to sit in for a second. It does make sense, this dissociation that you're talking about, bringing it back to community, why we've lost our sense of what it means to be fully human. And so we don't know how to connect with one another in a way that's human. Yes. Um, of the 10 things, the 10 basic ideas that I teach um, in anti-racism and the healing journey, Number 10 is that connection is the solution. Mm. It's also the source of the greatest pain. Yes. Because when you look and you see this on a regular basis, and we're seeing it on social media at the present moment with some meltdowns that are occurring because there's like three, four of them happening on TikTok at the same time. Yep. Right? Why there's a meltdown around the Spider-Verse makes no <laughs> sense to me, but okay. <laughs> cartoon? Y'all are melting down behind a cartoon? And representation in the cartoon. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy. Wow, this yeah. is amazing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. But what it is is that when you can see injustice and you can see how that person over there is being treated, you don't want to get treated that way yourself. Mm. And you don't know how to not get treated because you can't protect yourself. So it's sort of like the rage that I see against DeSantis. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. then when Disney withdrew 
everyone was saying, I'm so glad Disney did that. Why? Because they can have the Gloria Johnson experience, mm. meaning that Disney isn't going to be hurt by anything that DeSantis says, any legislation, any money, any lawyers. Disney can protect itself from the blowback from the emotional charge coming from DeSantis. Now, on his end, DeSantis cannot protect himself from public opinion. Right. Okay. And then when there isn't anyone to teach him, there isn't a community for him to go into to say and process, why are they mad at me? Because mm. DeSantis is doing everything within his power, just like those Republicans in Tennessee, using the legislative process to protect white people. Yes. I don't want to be called white supremacist. Marjorie Taylor Greene tells you that. Yes. It's insulting. It's offensive. It sounds like you want to physically hurt me right. or take resources from me or not respect my leadership or not want me to be in leadership. So now you're trying to set up the public lynching of me. Why? Mm. Because you've got that in your DNA. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So all progress comes across as revenge. Don't see me as white. And that's all you got to do, black, brown, indigenous, person of color. This all goes away as soon as you choose not to see me, as soon as you practice colonialism. Oof. Just practice colonialism with me. Oh. And then it all goes away. Oh. And see, we're all one. And we're looking at them like, but then you're going to do the same thing that you did yesterday. No, I'm not. You have to have faith that I'm not. Oh. And then they do it. And then when they do it, they're like, I didn't know I was going to do that. <laughs> and we're like, you want us to believe these mental gymnastics of white racial innocence? How are you? That part has been the most in the, since 2016. Yeah. It's dealing with someone who became 18 years old, voted for the first time. Now you're 23, 24 years old, and you want me to still believe that you don't know anything about race, racism, or whiteness, with everything that's happened in the national discourse. And you want me to educate you for free as if, like Bill Nye would say, you're 12 years old and I'm teaching you photosynthesis. No. <laughs> yes, exactly. Most of the reaction that I see, I watch your comments, I watch the way that people interact with you and your content as well as mine, and it's this bucking against the reality of a racial system. Yes. That it is in place and people are like, well, you're, you are the one that's the racist. By Correct. Say, right? So the accusation Correct. gets placed back on you. Yes. You know? Okay. And we have, we know the origin story of that. Okay. Yes. So it's twelve fifteen. You're in England. It's an island, people. You guys watch Vikings and the Last Kingdom. Come on. That stuff, yeah, that 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 happened. Okay. You know, yes. those are real people. Now, yes. now, now when, when you say that, then the white people go, wait a minute. There was a real Alfred? Yes, man. <laughs> there was a real Uthrit. There were three of them. Uh -huh. What? Right, right. <laughs> this was real. Yeah, man. There were Saxons, there were Danes, there were Britons. You guys had tribes, clans, family members. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, yes. you weren't all nationalistic at all times. Right. What? So <laughs> you have something called the Magna Carta in 1215. Mm -hmm. What was the Magna Carta? It introduces this thing into English cult uh, culture called the cancelization of force, which means the king cannot do anything to dukes and earls that dukes and earls can't do back to the king. Mm. That way, the king is held in check one on one individualism then it progresses to the point where the dukes and earls can't do anything to a peasant and it creates something called a court that the peasant can appeal to in order to force the duke and earl to treat them as individuals you can't hurt me if i can't hurt you hmm. so that's why when we say you're acting racist they go you're being racist towards me Cancelization of force. Mm. How do I protect myself if I can't do you? If I can't stop you? So now, if you got public opinion or you got this power that says that you can call me and label me something, and I gotta get just beat up by it. I mean, that's basic. Uh, Jordan Peterson. He yes. sits there and says, "Now injustice is occurring," but it happens for Black, Brown, Indigenous people of color at all times because it's always like this. But the white person is thinking, "No, it's like this," because I'm six feet, two hundred and forty pounds. Yeah. When we're in the same room and there's only six feet separating us, you definitely <laughs> want me to think this. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. You don't want me to think this. Uh-uh. 
Yeah. Right. Even yeah. though this is in play, because as soon as we go step outside that room, you can if you're a white woman, start crying. And now the system kills me. If you're a white man, start screaming, and hollering. And now the system kills me. Yeah. Yes. But you don't want to think in those terms, because then that means that black, brown, indigenous people of color can treat you in fear all the time. Mm. OK, so then the question always becomes, so what do I do? Very first thing we say is there's this guy named Joseph Campbell. Yeah. And he wrote, mapped out this thing called the hero's journey. Yeah. And we want you to go on your, he, I keep saying healing journey. Got you. Get it? Yes. Yeah. As a derivative of that. What is the point of the hero's journey? Again, he's got a whole institute. <laughs> and he's got like 27 books okay, yep. Yep. So, to teach yep. you on this. But a hero of a thousand faces, once you read those 300 pages, you learn that the whole purpose of going on the healing journey is to get the boom. What is the boon? The boon is that you learn you can cope with the challenges of life. Mm, that's good. Okay. That you can cope. Not that person over there can cope. You can cope with the challenges of this life. Right? So then that means the very first thing that you do when you come back and can cope, and it's your racial journey, is Break the taboo within your family and community around talking about yourself in reference to race, racism, and whiteness. And you are running into that left and right. Like literally all your content is you being aware of, oh my God, I'm a white man. Yeah. And I've been treated like a white man all the days of my life. Mm. And all the white people saying, dude, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> don't, don't hurt yourself like that. You hate you yourself. What? Why do you hate yourself? That yeah. part. Yeah. Oh my God, that part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because if I, if you can do that, then now you're showing that I can do that. Yes. Yes. Right. So I tell people the left side of my brain is Minister Malcolm X. The right side of my brain is Ross Bob Marley. Mm. And Bob, Malcolm X's spiritual teacher said, Malcolm, you don't have to tell people that they are living wrong. All you have to do is clean your glass, and when they see that you're not sick from this society, they will ask you what you're doing that they aren't doing, mm. and they will condemn themselves. Okay? Oh. Okay? So that part. Man. I, I don't know. I, I was a Christian pastor. I'm not anymore. But this is a this is a thousands-year-long truth in every tradition. If you show, like, if you're good, they'll, it's like pouring hot coals on someone's head. It's like you, right? You just show up with the healing journey that you've had and you don't have to point at them and be like, well, you're still, uh, a, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that's what is so disorienting to so many people is that once you've started to heal from anything, your, your approach to them does not become this. I'm going to punch you back for punching me. I'm going to hit you in a different way and you won't feel like you got hit by me. <laughs> Oh something. my goodness. The movie Revolver. I haven't seen this. Okay, so somebody get it. Andre 3000 is in it. Oh, it's the right. movie okay. Revolver. I watched the movie like three times before I even think I got that movie. And mm. th that was the whole point. Mm. By the end of it, the bad guy, Ray Liotta, has a gun to the procrastinator's head. It's like, fear me. Oof. Fear me. And he's gone on his journey. They finally mm. got him to go on his journey. And he looks at him and says, no. Oh. And then just walks away. Oh. And the guy guy is sitting up there shaking, crying. Fear me. Oh, so good. Fear me. Okay. It's, it's, so it's a beautiful good. metaphor. It's a beautiful oh, metaphor, right? It is. So then once once you break in the taboo and they're like melting down, to mm. me, the tool that was given to European Americans from the civil uh, rights movement by R Marshall Rosenberg, mm. Ashkenazi Jew, yeah. was Nonviolent communication. Yes. What? Yes. I want you to learn how to identify your emotions and then yep. speak to the need that the emotion is bringing up. Because as soon as you resolve the need, the conflict goes away because now your need is being met and you're not trying to extract the need mm -hmm. from the community. Yes. And then the person goes, What? Because follow Dr. King. Peace is not the absence of tension. Don't spiritual bypass. It is the presence of justice. Yes. And then the person goes, so back to this idea. So does that mean that you want to, you want revenge? No. 
justice is a positive peace. Yes. It's also yes. the DNA of the gospel. <laughs> uh, there it is. We've been able to make Jesus white because we don't have pictures and video of him. We've tried to do the same with Martin Luther King. He's been overcome by whiteness. He's become a national hero, right? Um, and so people, uh, often white folks, will quote Martin Luther King at other white people. As though, you know, like I'm judge people. This goes back to the individualism thing. Yes. So, so, okay. So we know what, we know what people that have been, that are consumed by whiteness, how they respond to being triggered within their whiteness. One of the big challenges I think there is, and you and I messaged a little bit about this, is when people have a sort of ideological agreement where they've come to recognize there is racism in the culture, it's systemic and all that sort of stuff, but there's sort of like a practical impotence. Like there is yes. no connection between the two. Um, that I, I go from, okay, I agree, and now what do I do? People put Black Lives Matter signs in their lawns, and that's about the extent. Um, is that something in your context that you notice as well? Would there sort of a liberal idea without the ability to put it into action or knowing where to move next? Well, that's yes. And that's because there isn't a container. Yeah. So that's where the idea of racial trauma centers that I keep advocating for comes into being where there is a place to grieve the sense of loss because Ooh. without the yeah. grieving, without the crying, without the, I don't like this. And there isn't a place at the present moment. You can't do it at church. You can't do it at the community center. You can't do it in the movies. There, you can't even do it in your own home because then the people around you start saying, what's wrong with mommy? What's wrong with daddy? What's wrong with auntie? What's wrong with uncle? What's wrong with grandma? What's wrong with grandpa? Um, do you need to go to a mental health assignment? And the therapists don't know how to deal with it because I have conversations with therapists. Yeah. And there is this belief that um, thanks to... Uh, Hollywood. So like I never watched 12 Years a Slave. I literally tell people, you know, there's a book. When I've seen clips of, from that movie over social media, I never liked how they portrayed the slave master because they mm. portrayed the slave master like he was Ted Bundy or mm. um, John Gracie or mm. um, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. They're yes. crazy. Yes. They're, and they're crazy in a way that a white person can see that they're crazy. They're psychotic. Yes. Not they look like the banker. Or the oh. school teacher or the preacher, not the calm, sane person who is calmly saying, No, this is what we're doing. You're you're not an you're a talking animal. You're not a human being, you're a talking animal. So oh. <laughs> same when it comes down to the need to grieve mm. and, and, and and to not see the person who's racist as inhuman, because mm. that dehumanizing kicks in. And you want to distance yourself and say that my individual personality, I, this is the only thing I have control over, back mm. to individualism, yeah. and I am not the threat. Yeah. And I need to be soothed that I'm not the threat. Right. So what's the sense of loss? That I am a threat. Mm. So now you got to grieve that. Yes. So now that you can, after you grieve that, now you can act because I can hear Malcolm now. Until you heal, you cannot act. You yes. can rage and rage from the left. Carol Anderson is no different than rage from the right. Yes. Okay. They're both rage. Right. Right. <laughs> rage is destructive. Absolutely. You've got this like white rage that comes from either side of it. Everyone's like, I saw recently someone say that, you know, the Republicans are the ones that are racist. I'm like, okay. That's nice. But I remember, <laughs> I remember when, when I was growing up in an all white suburb that we had moved out of New York and we were in the South shore of Boston we read the history books 20 years prior, right? Malcolm and Martin are murdered. They're in my history book, but they're in black and white pictures. And the white racists look like white racists. They look like the KKK member. They look like people like with spit coming out of their mouths or that. And, and all of us were like, if that were happening in our day, no way would we be standing against the black folks. We would be marching with them. But guess what? The the people in that class were also dropping the N-word like it was, you know, every other. Like there's no, there was no connection between how we dehumanize people in our mind, including ourselves. And, that part. And, yeah, right. And that um, overtly racist person. And I think that, you know, as I've heard a lot of people say, that overtly racist person is much easier to deal with 
than the person that will smile like the the fox right that will uh this is a, Mar a malcolm quote right 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 the malcolm, yeah yeah, yeah. The ballad, ballad of the bullet the fox or the um yeah uh, wolf yes, wolf yes, yes. <laughs> yeah right right so i guess you know what i I love what what I love about your content is this like you're creating this new reality that you talk about of dismantling oppressive systems, both outside but mostly within. You're talking about this generational stuff that happens. NVC is huge, by the way. Anyone that doesn't know Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication must invest in that, um, just personally and corporately. I think that it what's hard for a lot of white folks is knowing where to find this kind of anti-racism healing community that you're proposing, that you're visioning. Do you have any suggestions for that? It has to be built, period. I mean, yeah. everyone is looking for it to already exist. That's what he keeps saying, where is it? Yeah. It's in your hand. Mm. So you have to go on your healing journey and you learn you have the capacity to cope. Cope with what? With the person who is about to melt down. And mm. they have to melt down yeah. before they start saying, I need to grieve mm. because the melting down is a part of the grieving process. Yes. Okay. Cause they don't know what's there until it comes up and they find out that they can't cope with it. Yes. So unless you are fear me no. Mm. And then you walk off and then they turn around and like, why didn't you fight with me right then? Cause there's no point to fight. You're already fighting yourself. How am I fighting myself? Because you're trying to be that which you are not, that which cannot be. You're actually trying to have authority over somebody. Mm. And you don't have any authority over yourself. I mean, isn't that part of the God? I mean, he says that to Pontius Pilate. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is why, uh, have you read the book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone? Um, not that book specifically, but I've consumed a tremendous amount of, of James Cone because he was yeah. one of the few, um, when I was small, who wasn't at odds with Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, right. When when you think about the dichotomy between who Jesus is talking to and who has ta overtaken the scriptures, um, and this is happening all over the place, colonization, imperialism, overtakes, makes it uh, co-opts, make these beautiful messages into its own and waters it down, whitewashes it. But you said, right. we're trying to be that which we cannot be. And I think whiteness is something we cannot be. It is Truth. unsustainable. Truth. Yeah. You cannot oppress people eternally. They will eventually stop your hand from beating them. And then when they have that power, when, when Shotnuff cannot be beat by Bruce Leroy, who's the master? And when he comes up out of that water and turns to him, I am. Oof. And then he starts glowing. Yes. Show enough doesn't know what to do. Yes. Right. Yes. Show enough doesn't know what to do. Um, Br'er Rabbit. And when yeah. Br'er Rabbit is now outfitting the fox's strength, yeah. outfitting the, Br the uh, bear's strength, when you cannot use the legislative process and you cannot use violence, to suppress me when Dr. Keene's got the babies getting hit by water hoses. Mm. Okay. And you cannot fight that to the point where the firemen, when you see the, the thing in Birmingham, they're like, I was terrified. They're like, why are you scared? You're the one with the fire hose. Oof. Now it's untenable. You can't defend this. Yes. Now you feel bad about yourself and where's the place for you to go and grieve. So that's what needs to get crafted. Mm. And the compassion, because most of my compassion is after I went on my healing journey of being able to see the condition yeah. that my European-American friends and family are in. So now I'm not coming to try and call you out, beat you up any more than you already are beat up. It's yes. now bring you in and going on your healing journey is scary enough. You got to go into that forest by yourself. Yeah. You can't, I can't go with you. No. You got to go into that forest by yourself and then see what's on the other side of the forest. Mm. Wait a minute. What? Mm. I do? Yes. Because you don't know that you can cope with your own emotions. Yes. You don't know that you can cope with what's coming up out of your subconscious of what it means to you to see yourself through a racial lens. Yeah. There is nothing I need to do other than sit there and be like, okay, are you good? Mm. Are you good? And when I teach this, and then Resma Minikam, who's the foremost intergenerational trauma expert, he does the exact same thing. He's not there when the white person is processing 
Why? Because now you're going to trauma dump on me yes. and tell me I'm the problem. I'm the one with race. I'm the one who needs to tr- stop. Not you need to do this with another white person and you guys actually bond because of releasing the grief. Mm. So once you go on that journey and you bond together by releasing the grief, now you guys are connected and you have common ground, common emotional, psychological ground. Mm. that you can work with. Now you can go, what do you say, two by two? (laughs) (laughs) He did indeed. (laughs) That's it, though. Into the world Uh, as a clean glass, and now you're not sick, as sick as the rest of the community, and they flock to you saying, what are you doing different? uh, Pam, Dave, the other anti-racist persons who are going on the healing journey, how are you guys doing this? Mm. Okay, mm. and then when you find each other, and the persons who are racist don't want to rent to a person of color, and you sit there and say, "Do you know why you don't want to rent to the person of color? Because they're going to mess up the place because they're violent. Because they're di- no, you know, white people do that. <laughs> um, but you got the same risk with yep. a white tenant as you do with a black, brown, indigenous person of color tenant. Amen." So could you now explain to yourself why you feel this kind of way? No, I can't. You know what? I couldn't either. And then I read this thing called the cherry blossom experiment. Mm. And then I learned that my grandfather was in the United States of America during this time. And when I would ask my grandfather what it was like to live through the civil rights movement, he didn't have any stories. I used to believe that meant that he wasn't participating. Now I come to believe he feels so much guilt Mm. and shame around what was happening during the civil rights movement that he refused to share with me. I think the exact same thing is happening in the states that have banned CRT. Mm. It is their civil rights movement moment, and they're not standing up. And then they got to look at themselves and say, why why am I not strong enough to stand up? Why am I scared that I'm going to lose my job? Why am I scared of my principal? Why am I scared of the school district? Why am I scared of these parents? And those are the questions that need to be happening And then once you are able to to create a space where you can ask those questions, you now have started the racial trauma center. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends.